You know, as I began to prepare and seek the Lord over what, <clears throat> what I was supposed to bring this morning, I thought to myself several times that Brother Fred would be right here. And every time I thought that, the evil one wanted to come after me and say, now Brother Fred's going to be right there. And he's going to be looking at everything that you say. Praise God. But then the presence of God came over me, and I want to share with you just what the Lord spoke to me. I think this is just profound, and I thank him for it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't speak today, then y'all will receive nothing. And as we get into the message, I will share even more about this. But the blessing is this. My reliance is not upon what I've done or what Brother Fred's ever done. His reliance and my reliance is on the exact same thing, which is the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says in Ephesians that we serve the same God. We have one spirit, one Christ. And so today, I'm just a vessel. Today, I'm just a cup that I pray that the power of God and that the Lord will flow through, the Holy Spirit will fill up and overflow into this place, and here's the blessing of it all. All I was was a cup. Everything that goes in the cup is of him as long as I yield to him. And so it's an honor to be able to be here to share what the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart. If you have your scriptures, open up to Psalms chapter 100. Brother Fred preached on this Wednesday night, and I'm going to kind of use it as a springboard as we go forth. Thanksgiving, I began to just pray and think, what are we thankful for? What are you thankful for? And you'll probably know the top three things that people say when you ask them, what are they thankful for? Family is number one, right? Most of us are thankful for our family. Number two is, is kind of toss-up between two and three, and that's either health or wealth. Financial stability or health. I was even thinking that some might be thankful for good food. How many of y'all had turkey? I had turkey and ham on Thursday. Friday for lunch, I had leftovers. Friday night, I had leftovers. Saturday morning, we had leftovers. Oh, no, Saturday afternoon. I don't know about y'all, but I had enough turkey and ham for the rest of the year and next year. And next year. Some of y'all are thankful for the good deals that you got on Friday, right? A few people, maybe. I hope y'all didn't go out there. It's crazy. Uh, my wife always tells me how much she saved me, and I tell her how much it cost me, right? But I'm just that way. I'm cheap. Uh, as I walk, pennies will pop out of my shoes, right? Um, some of y'all are thankful for sports and things that happened yesterday. I won't go there, but I will say that I was sad that my orange and blue lost. The fighting Illini lost to Iowa State yesterday in basketball, and it broke my heart. I watched every moment on the little thing on my phone just updating. So Illinois did lose last night, and I was not thankful. But there's many different things that we're thankful for, but today I, what I did was I just got on my face and I said, Lord, put me out of the flesh. Take me away from the flesh. Let me humble myself before your throne. And God, what am I truly thankful for? 
Because all those things are great, and there's so many blessings in our life that, that we can easily focus on. I mean, we could count our blessings one by one, and we would be here till next week, and Brother Fred would just come up and start preaching. But I said, Lord, I want to know. Like, I want to get on my face, and I just want you to just flow over me, and I want you to just tell me, what am I thankful for? What are the most important things in my life that I need to be praising God for today? And so I want to share with you the three things that the Lord spoke to me. But before we do, I have to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4, and 5. I don't have to. I want to. I desire to. It says, In my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. That's my heart cry today as we go forth into the scripture. In Psalms 100, verse 4 and 5, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, we could say, you know, enter in as you come in this place, enter with thanksgiving, but we got to remember that we are the church, right? Your body is the temple. Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. So I believe that that enter into his gates with thanksgiving starts the moment that your eyes open. Praise God they open this morning. The moment that your eyes open this morning, you begin to praise him and thank him for what he's going to do in your life today. Because here's the thing. We don't just live life. We have a purpose and a reason for today. And that purpose and that reason is to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not because it's a Sunday morning. It's because we woke up today. It's every day. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and continue the next week. It's very simple. So I began to pray and I said, God, just tell me, just show me the most important things. And I'll tell you, I don't know if I can even get past number one. Really, all three of these are a message in of themselves, but I don't know if I can get past number one. The first thing that I want you to see today is that I am thankful for the blood of the Lamb. I am thankful for the relentless pursuit of an agape love of the Father. I don't know about y'all, but I was the prodigal son. And to be honest with you, all of you were. And when I was out in the pigsties and I was doing the things of this world, I saw the Father and I heard the truth and I ran to him. And listen, his agape love, his relentless love towards me, he didn't say, go clean yourself up from the pigsties, you stink. He didn't say, go get everything right. He opened up his arms and embraced me because he loved me unconditionally. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm so thankful because I was a harlot, I was a sinner. The scripture says in John 15, 13 through 14, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. But here's the cool thing. Look in the next verse, verse 14. It says, You are my friends. So let's put those back together. You are my friend. And go back to verse 13. Greater love is this, that no one, that, that no one lay down their life or his life for his friends. Jesus is saying there's no greater love than me sending my son to die for you though you did not deserve it. Though you were a sinner, though you were the prodigal son running away 
He says, there's no greater love than this because it's unconditional. I didn't look at your circumstances and your situation and say, well, if you can just get these things right. He said, I love you right where you are. And I don't know about y'all, but praise God for it because I was a sinner and so were you. It says in Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says in Romans 4.25, it says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered over for our transgression because of our transgression. He went to pay the price we couldn't pay. You know, I've heard people say, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, it says it in Scripture, and I've heard them say that, you know, if you go back to Exodus and you see the first Passover and you look at this story, what happens is, is that they were told to sacrifice a lamb and then take the blood of the lamb and to put it on the doorpost so that the Passover angel would pass over or the pa- during that time. And here's what we see. I've heard people tell it this way. They say, well, Jesus spread out his arms across Two posts, which made up a cross that would be considered the doorpost of your heart and the blood of the Lamb, though if you choose the blood and if you cry out to God and, and, and seek Him, then the blood of the Lamb will be placed upon the doorpost of your heart, which is the wood that He was on the cross as the blood flowed down. Jesus loves us and laid His life down, though we were wretched sinners. I don't know about y'all, but I am so thankful for the blood of the Lamb. If you're sitting in here today and you're saying, David, explain that a little bit farther. Let me explain it to you very simply. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The scripture says we have a sin problem. We're born into the flesh. The scripture tells us that we have a penalty for our sin, and that is separation. That is hell that was created not for us, but for those who were cast down out of heaven. But because we are enslaved to the evil one, if you do not accept the free gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is a place that you would go. The scripture says that he loved us enough that he went to the cross and he lived a perfect life and that he died for us, that he would take the pardon, that he would take the place of the punishment. Guys, I am thankful that Jesus Christ loved me enough to take the punishment that I may have life. I'm thankful that he went to the cross and put the nails through his arms and through his feet and let the blood of Jesus pour down that we may have life today. And I pray that you are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ every day that you wake up because it's only by his blood that you're set free. It says in scripture that you're enslaved to the evil one, but then it says, he who is in Christ, if the son has set them free, then you are free indeed. So as I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, the number one thing I'm most thankful for is the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. And he is holy and I am not. And I can try all day long to be religious or traditional or do whatever I want to gain acceptance in the kingdom of God and I will never do it. But praise God for the blood. It's so simple to me. 
Brother Fred made such a great illustration not too long ago. He said, why, if you were going before a judge and he counted you guilty, and then he said that I will pardon you, why would you not accept the pardon? On an earthly standpoint, we can understand that. But here's the reason why some people won't accept the pardon. It's because they think somehow, some way, that they can provide for their life a better life than humbling themselves before God and giving it to him. I don't know how many of y'all were here when I talked about being a bond servant and I shared that a bond servant is someone who came to the point that said his life as a slave to the master is greater than anything he could provide on his own. And so when people saw bond servants, they would say, man, he must have an incredible master. The reason some people don't, aren't thankful for the blood of the lamb or trample over the blood or, or even say, you know, it's not for me is because they think that having control of their life, they can do far more greater and better than the one who breathed life into them. And for those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, you sit there and you think, how in the world could we ever say that? Or how could anybody ever say that? But here's the thing, at one point in your life, you said it. Before the day of salvation, you were trying to do it on your own. But remember, the prodigal son came running home and realized that life working for his father, serving his father was greater than anything he could provide on his own and his father opened his arms. And if you're sitting here today and you say, I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, let me stop right here and say this. The father's arms are open and the blood of Jesus Christ is for you just as it is for me. And you're unworthy just as I was unworthy. But when you fall on your face before the throne of God, he will cleanse you, he will enter your life and he will change your life and you will have a purpose and a reason and a plan every day and it's to bring glory and honor to his name. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah says that I have a plan for you, declares the Lord, right? When you seek him with all your heart. So the first thing I want you to see today is that I am so thankful for the blood of the lamb. I could talk about it all day long. I can't get over it. Like, I cannot get over the fact that though I was, I mean, I, could I do that for somebody? I don't, no. That's like going up to my enemy and saying, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I mean, that just, I'm like, you're, you're against me and I'm going to, I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling, but it's so peaceful. There's so much purity in it because it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I pray that every day, not just in this Thanksgiving period, but every day you wake up and you say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood of the Lamb. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I can only enter your gates because of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, I can only enter in today and serve you today because of what you did on the cross, because you came down, you lived a life, perfect life, and died a perfect death. You went through all of that, that I may have life. And I pray that tomorrow morning when you wake up before you go to work or see your family or friends or go to school, if you have that tomorrow, I don't even know if they start tomorrow, but I pray that you'll wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. The second thing as I was praying and seeking the Lord was is that I am thankful for the word and its sanctifying work. Let me explain that to you for a second. I've kind of talked about sanctification the last couple of times I've, I've had an opportunity to teach. And so y'all, y'all understand that we walk through the process of sanctification. But I am so thankful for the sanctifying work of the word of God. Now, First off, the Word of God shows me God's character, right? 
1 John 4, 8 says God is love. That's real simple. We can write that down in our Bibles. It says the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's one of his character. That's who he is. Part of his, the character of God is that he can't lie. Titus 1, 2 says God cannot lie. I thank God for that. Because when he says that we have hope in eternal life, and by the word hope in the Greek means to know for sure, because I don't like, I don't want to just have hope that we're going to go to heaven. I want to know. And the word hope in etern- means to know for sure. And so he says, hey, you can know for sure that you have eternal life because God cannot lie. I'm thankful for that characteristic, or that's who he is. It says in Scripture that God is truth. John 17, 17, God is truth. Now here's the thing. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now here's what I want you to see, and and y'all know that I'm the way, the, the truth, and the life, right? But here's what I want you to see. As you study the word of God, and as we talked about this, you allow it to wash over you, anything that's in you that is of the world will be in direct contrast to that of the word of God. Because the word of God is truth. The world is enslaved to the evil one who there is no truth in. It says he's the father of all lies. He's the one who's leading this world astray. And let me tell you something, it's only going to get worse. I'm not trying to like, like belittle that statement, but I'm just telling you, I've read the book. And there's a silver, silver lining in everything that's going on in this world right now. It's validating scripture. You ever thought about that? We can get so worked up. And if you watch Fox News all day, you'll get worked up. And uh, I try not to watch it too often. But you can get all worked up. You can get like, oh, the, the world's coming to an end today. Okay, praise God, go share the gospel. But you can get all worked up that that this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Hey, the silver lining in it all is that everything that's happening today is validating the word of God. That should make you rejoice. Because it says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the word of God will stand forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. So as you... Study the word and seek the word, which it says in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I believe that that this is the word of God, the infallible word. God breathed this, that we may have it, that we can study it and know God and allow it to wash over us, which means it's going to show you the direct contrast in your life from the truth. And let me tell you something that's painful, but I'm thankful for it. Let me show you why I'm thankful for it. James chapter 2, I mean James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. See, here's the thing. When we know the word and we let the word wash over us and there's times that it's going to be painful, we understand that that is a sanctification process. I'm a parent. I have two kids. One is three and a half, going on 16. And as Ed Newton said, that's a prayer request. And just the other day, my daughter decided to test me. She comes in throwing a fit, just going to town. Yes, yeah, she, she's got it in her. Oh, yeah. She's going to town. She's throwing all that 
whatever you call that, I don't know. Yeah, sassiness, she's got it, 100%. She might have like tenfold. And she's throwing all this stuff, and I looked at her, and I said, Emmy, I love you, but because of your actions and what you're doing, you're disobeying your father, and so I'm going to have to punish you. Now, it's not that often that I'm like walking in the spirit and discipline. A lot of times I'm like, get over there now! (laughs) But I said, because of your disobedience to your mother and your father, you're going to have to go to timeout. I don't want to go to timeout. And I said, well, your actions chose that. What am I doing in that moment? I'm loving my daughter because scripture says that he who does not discipline his child does not love his daughter. I think it actually says hate. I'd have to go back and check it. Let me check that before y'all write it down. But here's the thing. What am I doing in that moment? It's painful for her but I'm helping her to understand what she's supposed to do. I'm helping her understand that when she walks according to this direction, she won't receive punishment, but I'm actually protecting her for when? When she gets older. Right now, it don't cost her much, does it? Five minutes from playtime, maybe a light spanking because she's only three and a half, Um, but it doesn't cost her much. When she's 21, if those things have not been instilled with her, guess what it's going to cost her? A whole lot. It could be financially. It could cost her jail time. It could cost her a whole bunch of things. So her father, who loves her, is protecting her by disciplining her. Students, y'all hear that? Parents, can I get an amen? But that's what the Scripture's doing. God is our Father, and let me, let me just flip over to Hebrews 12. I, this says it so perfectly. Hebrews 12, and it says in verse, um, got to go one more chapter, there we go. Starting in verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are not, or if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Why did they respect them? Guys, I didn't really, I mean, I didn't understand the respect that I needed from my parents until I got old enough to understand that they were protecting me, that they were loving me. I tried to run away from home one time. And let me tell you all, I didn't know what I was doing. I was young. And all I knew was I was upset and mad at my parents. And I had watched enough cartoons to know that when you run away from home, you get a stick and you get like a piece of like cloth and you stick your clothes in the cloth and you pull it up and tie it onto the stick and throw it over your shoulder. And so here's me, probably about 11 years old, walking down the street. I get down to the end, and I look at my mom, and she's just sitting on the front porch, just watching. And I get maybe, maybe 300 yards from the house and said, I didn't bring food. <laughs> All because I was mad, probably because I didn't get the last word. That was Mark Lowry's problem as a kid, and I think my mom always told me she was going to ship me off to Mark Lowry. So I turn around, and I come home, and I got disciplined. Two weeks of being grounded, not to mention I probably got spanked quite a few times. I don't remember. I got spanked so many times as a kid. But I came back home and I was disciplined. Why? Because my mother knew that if I truly ran off that I was in danger and I was putting myself in danger. 
Now I respect her for disciplining me and not instilling it in me as a 10, 11-year-old saying, oh, I can just run off and there'll be no consequences. There will be consequences, won't there? And she watched me. I didn't get but two, 300 yards away. I was young. But the scripture says, for they disciplined, excuse me, verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Verse 10, for they di- or verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful and sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm thankful for the word of God because it convicts me to my heart of things that are not of this world or excuse me, things that are of this world, and the Lord disciplines me. And I'm thankful because when I walk through it, it yields the fruit of righteousness. See, we have to allow our mindset to change from not being afraid of discipline. I think some people are afraid, and I've shared this before, to study the Word of God because they know that when they get in the Word, they're going to be convicted. Hey, let me give you like just, just a hint. I've been a believer for several years. Brother Fred's been a believer longer than I've been alive. He was saved at two. But here's the thing. We still walk through this process. We do. And let me tell you something. I'm thankful for it. And I've even gotten to the point, and I'm not trying to like boast of myself. I've even gotten to the point where I'm in crazy pain letting the Lord wash over me. But I'm sitting there saying, oh, I know this, this is terrible, but praise God, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Many of y'all know the story. I've shared it with you a hundred times. I used to be a major people pleaser. The Lord disciplined me as I was literally pushing a mower in the backyard. I let go of it, fell on my face in my backyard, not in an ant bed, praise the Lord. And I sought the Lord and he washed over me. It was the most painful thing, removing that out of my life. But I can tell you today, do you know how much freedom there is? Only pleasing a God of one and not having to worry about anybody else? Or I could have worried myself to death year after year, trying and trying and trying and never gaining anything. But now I stand here today and know that all I have to do is present what God's told me to present and the rest of it's, I mean, that's between you and the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I don't have to, I don't have to bring about conviction upon anybody. I don't have to make you get to the cross. All I can do is run to the cross myself and say, here's my life. I want you to come with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to go with me. But I don't have to say, well, my ministry wasn't good because I didn't drag this kid to the cross and I didn't run over here and grab this kid to the cross. My ministry will be blessed when all I do is fall on my face and say, God, use me. And people will come forth with me, those who are walking in the Spirit and seeking the Lord and long and desire to be trained in righteousness. I'm thankful for the Word of God and its conviction and its discipline. Psalms 119, 105 says that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm thankful for the word of God because the word of God gives me direction amidst the trials and struggles. 
When I was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, if it wasn't for the word of God, I would have lost all direction in my life. I take 60 milligrams of prednisone and all these things, and let me tell you something. I could flip on a switch. One second I was Dr. Jekyll, and one second I was Dr. Hyde, or whatever you call it, because steroids do that to you. They make every situation that might be this small, like my shoes untied, to be in like a life-threatening situation. I could have, if I did not have God's lamp, the Word of God, to direct me, I could have lost everything in my mind. I could have lost all direction. But the Word of God showed me perspective. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Even in the midst of a world disease or a disease of this world, myasthenia gravis, that the doctors are saying will progress and progress until you die. And here's what I want to tell them is this. God has a plan. And I'm thankful for myasthenia because if it wasn't for the disease I went through, I wouldn't have experienced the fire of God falling down in my life. And let me tell you something. Nobody can take that experience from me. Of when God opened up the heavens and the fire of God fell down and it even radiated out of my chest to the guy who was praying for me. Nobody can steal that from me, but praise God, I had to go through what? Myasthenia to see that point. I don't know if I would value prayer like I do today if I wouldn't have gone through myasthenia. Every day praying continually with my wife every night before we went to bed, dear God, heal me of this disease. Every night, every night, every night. And then I watch the power of God fall. So I'm thankful. And you say, well, David, what about, you know, some people have been walking through this for years upon years. Continue to stay faithful because he will be faithful. And I'm talking about to walk with you through it. The world needs to see that because of the word of God that's in your life and because it's washing over you, they need to see you having joy and hope in the midst of the trial and the pain. Even if it takes you to the point of death, they will see that you never lost faith. Why does God heal some and not others? I have no idea other than this, is that God wants to use each situation for his glory and his honor. And for people to see you all the way through years of going through a debilitating disease and even on your deathbed and they see the faith, they begin to say something is different about this person because they were thankful for the word and the word washed over them. So I'm thankful for the word. I'm thankful for the blood of the lamb. I'm thankful for what he's done in my life. I'm thankful for him accepting the prodigal son, though I was a sinner. And listen, my sins might not have been the same as your sins, but hey, they're all sins and it doesn't really matter. They all keep us from the kingdom of God. They all keep us from him and his holiness. I'm thankful for the word of God washing over me. And I've gotten to the point, God, I understand that it's going to be painful every time that you remove something in my life. But ever since I've read A.W. Tozer's book, Heart Cry for Revival, I wake up and I say, God, search me, know me, and show me any evil way about me. Psalms 139. Why? Because I want to be more like you. Remember the cup I talked about at the beginning? I want it to be you coming out of the cup, not me. All I want to be is the cup. The third thing that I was thankful for, and I'll try not to get emotional here, but the third thing I'm thankful for is for people who have emptied themselves and fulfilled their ministry. Let me explain that to you for a second. I sat back over Thanksgiving week and 
I had some time with my family. I tried to get away a little bit. When you got six kids running around, you know, it's, it's good to get away and just seek the Lord. And I started praying and I said, God, if it wasn't for people in my life from the time I was born, when Jim Robinson came and saw me as a baby, to this point now, if it wasn't for people giving up of themselves and seeking the Lord with all their heart and letting God move through them, where would I be today? And so I'm thankful. And when I say that, I stand up here at Luke 4.18 looking at so many of you. Brother Fred Wolf and Ed Keys. I'm so thankful that you would give of your life, that people are impacted, including myself. Many of y'all don't know this, but when I was in Illinois, they asked me, they said, what would ever take you away from this church and from Canacook? And I said, two things. If Chick-fil-A ever called me, because I wanted to operate a Chick-fil-A, man, I don't know if it was because I wanted the chicken or if I wanted to help people, but I saw it as a ministry. They never called And I said, the only other thing that would take me away from Illinois, that's why I was cheering for Illinois last night, the only other reason I would take me away from Illinois is if Brother Fred and Brother Ed ever came together and started a church. These people are instrumental in my life, and a year after I started at Illinois, they came together and they started a church. The next year, at the end of the year, the Lord told me, and uh, excuse me, told me that I was going to marry Leslie. And so I began to look for churches or places that I could go serve in Cincinnati, Ohio, because I was close to her family. And right about that time, Brother Fred called me. My contract was in with Canacook. And he said, David, I want you to pray about coming down to Mobile. And let me tell you something. At first, I was like, mm, I got to go to Cincinnati. Then the Lord reminded me of two years ago when I said one of two things. They weren't, it wasn't even a church then. It wasn't even necessarily a thought. And so I came down here and I'll tell you, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me is to be able to be mentored, trained, and discipled by these two guys. Let's just take a minute. Let's thank them for what they've done. By emptying of themselves, what Christ has done through them, by emptying of themselves. It's been Jesus. I love what Brother Ed, and you probably don't want me to share this, but uh, I'll seek forgiveness later. But I love what Brother Ed told me one day. I was sitting down and I said, Brother Ed, I said, just we were just talking at Waffle House, one of the, probably the most spiritual places ever. And um, <laughs> come on. And so we're sitting there and we're talking and Brother Ed made the comment. He said, you know, you know how I know Christ lives in me? And I said, well, I know because I'm looking at you. I mean, come on. And he said, I know Christ lives in me because who I am today is something that I could have never achieved on my own. I'm thankful for my mother, who from a kid brought me to church, dragged me to church. As they say, I had a drug problem. They drug me to church. But I'm thankful for my mother who loved the Lord enough that when we were riding on I-10 to I-65 connector and I said, what's going to happen to me if I die without Christ? And the understanding came over me. God opened my eyes and she said, son, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you will die a sinner's death. 
and I looked at her weeping and could not smile, could not do anything. I remember the moment like it was yesterday saying, I want Jesus. And I'm thankful for a mother who loved the Lord and emptied herself to raise her son in the ways of the Lord. I'm thankful for people like Brother Alan Lockerman who took me under his wing several years ago. I'm thankful for Tim Bias, who was my pastor and friend in Illinois, and for Tom Casalero, who's my mentor now, for my Sunday school leaders, for my RA leaders, for those who have poured into me, and I could name every single person in this room. I am who I am today because you let God work through you. I'm not going to say I am who I am today because of you. I'm going to say I am who I am today because you let God work through you. And so I'm thankful. But I can't end there. If you open up your scriptures to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, I want you to see this. And I had to say, I wrote it down, I had to say, my RA guy, uh, leader, his name was Don, and I don't know his last name, I've been told he passed away. He meant so much to me. I can remember everything he said. So if you're a Sunday school teacher or, or if you're an RA, which we don't have RA's, uh, Awanas, you know, listen, these kids are listening to you and the question is, is, are you yielding to the Spirit? Because they need to hear Jesus, not you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and on says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Praise God. That goes back to the first point, and I, I want to just rejoice. But let's keep going because we're running out of time. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, if you have your scriptures, if you're willing to, write in your Bible and underline this, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's committed to you, believers, the word of reconciliation. And I'm thankful for it because you took that on as your ministry, and my life was changed because I saw Jesus in you. I'm standing up here preaching because the Holy Spirit got a hold of me through your life. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us, like I said, Christ through you, and we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. I want you to know what is an ambassador. We talked about this. An ambassador is one who's in a foreign land doing the work of the Father or doing the work of his homeland. We are in a foreign land, this world. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you transformed or, excuse me, crossed over from death to life. You're now in the kingdom of God. Your home is not here. You are an ambassador to this land, and God's called you to go do kingdom work here on this earth. Now, here's what I want you to see in this, though. We have a vision here at Luke 418. It is love mobile, love the nation, and love the world. That's our vision. That's a two 20,000-foot approach. Like, we're skydiving right now. Some of y'all are like, I'm having a heart attack. I get it. But we're skydiving. We jumped out of the plane, and we see written on the, on the ground, love Mobile, love the world, love the nation. I just flipped that, but y'all know what I meant. 
So we pull our suit out and we start to glide down. Let me tell you what it looks like on a ground level. Like when we land, we finally, we, we, we descend, we hit the ground, we land. Here's what it looks like. If you're going to love Mobile, it's not going to be walking around, hey, I want you to come to Luke 418. We could fill the church real easy. You want to fill the church next week? Advertise that we're going to give $100 to the first 850 people that show up. Would this place get full? Oh, I'd make sure I had all my cousins and my friends. I'd make sure I had everybody here. $100? That'd give me a new suit. Or two. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God has called you to do the word, to to take the word of reconciliation to the world. That is on a one-on-one relational purpose. You are to go out and begin to share the gospel. But here's the thing. If your life is not according to the word of God, if you're not letting the word wash over you and you're thankful for the word and what it's doing in you and the discipline process that yields the fruit of righteousness, then your, your life will not reflect the word of reconciliation that God's called you to bring forth. The last thing you want to see is another person living like hell and telling them about Jesus. It doesn't relate. But when your life is transformed by the word of God and it's washing over you and you take the word of reconciliation to the world, your life will verify the word that God's put in your heart. Why? Because it's not you living, it's Christ in you. And Christ is going to verify himself, isn't he? So here's the thing. You go up to your friends and you say, man, I want you to come to church. That, that, that's a great thing. I want you to invite people to church. But it goes deeper than that. Are you building trust in their life? Are you loving on them? Are you serving? If each person in this room right now would take one person in their mind out in the world that does not have a home church, that, that whether they know Christ or not, and they begin to just love on that person and serve that person and build trust in that person, eventually they're going to trust you enough to enter the doors of the church. This facility, because we are the church. I asked my friend if I could share this story, and he told me I could. I have a dear, dear friend who's here in Mobile. And when I moved to Mobile and came back here, I began to ask him, I said, hey, why don't you come with me to Luke 418? He knew I was on staff. He knew that I was a pastor. He knew that I worked there. And I kept asking him, I kept asking him, hey, why don't you come? I want you to be a part. I want you to be a part. And he made the comment to me. He said, I'm afraid that if I go, that people will judge me. Now, all of you in this room are saying, we wouldn't do that. And I agree with you. You wouldn't. But that's the perception that that person had. How do you break down that perception? You continue to serve and continue to love and continue to serve and continue to love and continue to serve and continue to love until they finally realize that what you're saying is truth. But your life has to represent it. Your life has to be according to the word of God. And when you do that, that person is here today with us and been involved in the church for several years, and their life is on fire for the kingdom of God. Why? Because somebody spent time loving and not giving up and just loving and not dragging them or pushing them, but allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them until they built trust because they saw Jesus in you. If we do that, we won't be able to house people in this place. 
But what happens is, is that we get so caught up in what we got to do today. We wake up tomorrow morning, I got to go to work, I got to do this, I got to do that. Next thing you know, you lay down your, your, your head on your, and you were never intentional in the moment. And listen, I'm as guilty as, as anybody else in this room of doing that. I'm not sitting here trying to cast blame. But I'm just as guilty. And so my question is, is are you going to go and take the word of reconciliation by your life and by what you share with others, continuing to build trust in their life so that they will eventually have the trust to come forth and to hear the gospel of Jesus presented? You know, I tell my students all the time, I said, shame on you if all you do is invite people to church. They should hear the gospel from you by your lifestyle and by your words well before they enter the doors. I'm not your evangelist. Let me explain that real quick and we're going to be done. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I am an evangelist, but I'm not going to entitle anybody not to do what God's called them to do. It says, we can start in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Sometimes we need to learn that patience. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears. Their truth will turn aside. But you be sober in all things, endure the hardship. Do you know it's hard to live a godly life in this world? Why? Because the world is continually pressuring you and you have to continually say, no, I'm seeking God. I'm continually going to not turn to this. I'm going to turn to yield to the Spirit. It says endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That didn't say, I, Paul, need to continue to fulfill the work of an evangelist in my ministry. It was talking to the people, you, go do it. Your job is to go forth and do the work of an evangelist. And let me tell you something, it's not a pastor's job to enable you to just not have to go out and share the gospel. God's called us all to. Now, do, do I want you to bring people here and let us share the gospel? Absolutely. If they're willing to come, bring them. I want to share the truths of the gospel with them. That's my heart. That's Brother Fred's heart. That's the heart of Luke 4.18. It's to set the captives free. And we know that that's by Jesus entering their life. And we're going to share the gospel over and over and over because sometimes they can't hear it. But my question to you is this. God's called you to be where you're at. I can't be there every moment of every day. I'm not God. I'm not in every place at every day. But you are, and he's placed you there, and he's put you at that school. You can't take God out of schools. You've got Christians there. You can't take God out of your workplace. You're there. God can't take, they can't take God out of your family as long as you're in your family. And so God's called us to go do the work of the evangelist. And here's the thing. I stand up here and I say thank you to each one of you for what you've done in my life. And look at the product. It's not me. It's the fruit of the Spirit that's coming forth. Because you trusted God. You emptied yourself. And I saw Jesus in you. And I wanted it. I wanted Jesus. And so I challenge you. I challenge you to make sure that what you are doing is intentional every day and every moment. 
I have neighbors that to this day I'm still loving and serving, praying. Loving and serving, praying. Loving and serving, praying that they will enter this place and come be with us in the fellowship. I have friends and family that I'm still just loving and serving. And when you make mistakes, what you will, what they need to see is this. That when you fall short of the glory of God, that you fall in repentance before God. That's what they need to see is true repentance. That's what they need to see. Because listen, you're not going to be perfect. So here's the thing. Number one, I'm thankful for the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, here at the end, we'll be down front. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to spend time with you. Number two, I'm thankful for the word of God and the sanctifying work that it's doing in my life and in each of your life. It's painful, but it brings the fruit of righteousness and it allows our life to verify the word of reconciliation that's coming forth from Jesus in us. And so maybe you're at the point where you're saying, man, David, I really do just need to let the word wash over me. It's going to be painful and I'm going to accept it because God's going to bring about peace and joy. And number three, thank you to those who have emptied themselves and loved me. And let's repeat that process. Let's continue to repeat that process. That's what discipleship is. It's to disciple, pour into, to send out. And disciplers make disciples. And disciples make disciples. Let's go do that. Let's continue. And here's the thing I want to tell you. I've never seen a body of believers like as I look out today. That's not to puff you up or to bring about arrogance. That's simply to say that I have never seen such a group of people humble themselves and seek the Lord with all their heart. And I have watched the power of God move over the last five years simply because people realized that they were just a cup. And they entered his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And they worshiped the king with all their heart.